managers. Who are they and what do they do? Welcome to the future of what? I'm your host, Portia Sabin, president of the independent record label, Kill Rockstars. On this month's episode of Music Industry 101, we're talking about band management. When does an artist need a manager? How do you get a manager? And what does a manager actually do for a band? Today, we'll talk to Louis Bandak, a music manager and former A&R guy who lives and works in Los Angeles. And we'll talk to Ingrid Renan and Slim Moon, who have separately managed bands like Blitz and Trapper, Anais Mitchell, and Typhoon, as well as collaborating on the management of bands like Tao with the Get Down, Stay Down and the Portland Cello Project. Louis Bandak is a music manager. Louis, thanks so much for joining us on The Future of What? You're welcome. Thanks for having me. So on The Future of What, we have started a new series, like an educational series called Music Industry 101. And so for today's show, we are talking about what does a music manager do? We're sort of targeting this at young musicians out there who don't really understand the industry. And then people who actually have been in the industry for years who don't understand the industry. (laughs) There's a lot of people who don't know what's going on. So I thought I would talk to you. You've had a long career as an A&R person. You've been in the business for a long time. And last couple of years, you started your own management company. So can you just talk a little bit about what a manager does for a band? A manager is sort of another extension of the band, if you will. I guess it's it's really somebody that can help pull everything together, help create opportunities for the band, help build their team, the business team, help find the money for the band. You know, let the band be the artist and the manager sort of the the bridge between art and commerce. And, you know, early on, it, it's everything from driving the van to gigs to helping them find gigs to, you know, printing up T-shirts and helping their social media, website, you know, development, all that stuff to, you know, negotiating record deals, publishing deals, finding business managers, finding sponsors, et cetera, et cetera. So it could be a, a bunch of things. And I think, you know, it's one of those interesting jobs that you don't necessarily need to be qualified to do, but you really have to learn how to do it well so you don't affect the artist in a negative way. So it's a lot of trial and error and just learning by doing it. I never had like a formal management background. I didn't start at a management company and learn the day-to-day duties, but just being at a label for all those years and working with managers and artists really closely, you kind of develop the skills and learn what to do just by, you know, proxy. And it's sort of an interesting trial and error of learning the hard way of what, what not to do. And, you know, you make mistakes along the way and you just hope to not make those mistakes more than once. Yeah. Well, and also given the fact that you were at a label for years, you have the kind of connections, you know, people in the industry. And that I think for a lot of artists is actually like the, one of the biggest benefits of a manager is that you know who to call. Because like you said, pretty much, I mean, anyone could be a manager and there have been plenty of artists. I mean, isn't it like REM's manager was like their buddy from high school or something who stayed with them for years? There's a lot of great instances of of legendary bands that have been around forever that have had the same manager from day one. Mm -hmm. They were just buddies or sometimes it was even a member of the band who just decided to be focused more on the management. So yeah, there's, there's definitely, you know, one of the most important things is in, in business, in the music business in general, regardless of management, is your network and your your contacts and, and your people you know, and more importantly, people that know you. And I think after, you know, working in the business for so long, I developed a pretty good network of, of people that I know. And that certainly has helped out on the management side. 
Definitely. So when would you say, in your opinion, is a young band ready for a manager? I think a, a lot of bands make the mistake of, of looking for a manager before they need one. I think the most important thing is realize is you need a manager when you no longer can do it yourself. And if you think you're just going to hire a manager and everything's going to just happen for you automatically, then you're probably not ready to be managed. Um, <laughs> I think, it, you know, you got to book your own gigs, create your own presence online, build some fans, make some music, put it up online, get some reactions. Because managers are going to want to hear and see something that they think they can work with. So if you haven't done the, the basic groundwork, you really need to get that as your priority as opposed to finding a manager. And a lot of times it's somebody you know, a friend. It doesn't necessarily have to be a big manager that you go after right off the bat. It could be just a buddy or somebody that really, a fan that's really eager to work for your band because they love it. That's where you start. You know, if things start to progress and your band's getting bigger and you just can't handle the workload, then then's the time to really look for a manager. And generally, those are the times that managers will find you because they see something happening. And that's ultimately the best scenarios when people are approaching you because they like what you're doing and hear what you're doing and see it's making an impact locally. So yeah, I mean, you know, people often go, well, how do I find a manager? Well, you know, it's just the same way you find any, any connection in this business is just asking people around you, asking other bands. If you see something happening with a band that you like, well, let me find out who their manager is. And generally you go to their Facebook page or something and it's usually there. The info is there. So maybe you reach out to them you know, say, hey, I love what you're doing with this band. We were interested in finding a manager. Would you like to hear some music? And, you know, try to set up a meeting, try to send them a link and see if they are, they're interested. But there's a lot of managers out there. So it shouldn't be too hard to find somebody if, if, you, if you're good at what you're doing. I always tell young bands that regardless of what they're looking for, whether they're looking for a booking agent, a manager, a label, whoever, we, the gatekeepers or the people who can help bands get to the next level are going to be so much more excited to work with you if you're already working really hard for yourself. Right. You know, and that is just like critical because no one's ever going to work harder for your band than you are working. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, if you're like, Hey, Louie, be my manager. Now I'm going to go home and I'm going to sit on my couch yeah. and then I'm going to wait for you to call me. You know, I mean, have you come across artists who've, who've tried to pull that one? Yeah. <laughs> Luckily, I, I I have, I sort of vet out the artist I want to work with and, and ask them that very thing is like, how hard are you willing to work for this? Because I don't want to be the one that's doing all the heavy lifting. I want you to work as hard or if not harder than me. I had a friend introduce me to a musician recently. I'm not going to name any names. It's just a local guy who doesn't really have anything going on. And, you know, he really, after we got to know him, just on a personal level, it's like, I really want you to manage me. I really want you to manage me. And I said, why? There's nothing to manage. He had no new songs online. He had no presence. He hasn't playing any shows. Didn't even have a band put together. I'm like, why do you want me to manage you? He's like, well, you're going to help me do this and this and this. I'm like, look, you got to help. You got to do it yourself before I, I even would want to get involved. Because if I don't see you able to, to put the work in now, I know you're not going to do it down the line. So yeah, I think, I think bands... The good thing is now bands are a little more aware that they really have to make things happen on their own initially. And uh, I think, you know, because information is more readily readily available that they're a little more business savvy maybe than they used to be, um, where it was really just, oh, let's leave it up to our people and they'll figure it out. But now bands are a little more, you know, music business educated and they've seen good and bad happen over the last few years. And, and I think they're willing to 
take things into their own hands a little more. And um, it's very competitive. So you got to outwork the other band that you're trying to, you know, get ahead of. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a lot of dedication and a lot of work and, and, you know, just playing gigs and writing songs isn't enough anymore. You really have to do things online. You really have to get out there and, you know, create interesting ways for people to hear your music and, and get discovered. And, um, it's, it's a full-time job, you know, once you really dedicate yourself to it, it's a lot of, a lot of work for bands. And that's why it's good to have somebody on the team, like a manager that really can help you focus on what you need to be doing on a day-to-day basis. And, you know, there are instances where there's a band that, you know, has a big manager at a big management company who has a lot of bigger artists and, they open up these great opportunities for the band, but the band can't get a return phone call. It takes them a couple of weeks to hear back from their manager, et cetera. And, and, you know, that's sort of the, the, you know, the danger sometimes of going with somebody that's got a ton of clients. I try to keep it, my roster down to a, you know, a manageable level. Cause I want to be there for my artists whenever they need me. And, um, you know, if, if I feel like I can't really, get things done in a timely fashion, then I, I know it's, you know, not going to benefit my reputation or the artist's reputation. And I don't want to be known as that guy who just, you know, took us on and never really did anything. So I try to be super hands-on and therefore I can only take on a limited amount of clients at a time. Right. So I started a management company in 2004 and I, it's, I still have it, but I don't really actively manage any bands. But we know when I started, it was much like when anyone starts a management company, you do everything yourself, like you're currently doing. When when bands get to a higher level or what they're with bigger agencies, often they'll find somebody would have a day-to-day person and then the sort of guiding manager. And the, the reason for that, in my understanding, is that the, the sort of overarching manager provides the vision and then the day-to-day person takes care of all the details, which is nice, you know, that's nice for an artist to have, but for people like you and me, we were doing it all ourselves. And that is such a challenging thing. It's such a challenging thing because you're not only are you having a vision, you're the one who's like, okay, I can see how this could become, let's say, huge in England, right? Like, I think this band's really got what it takes to be huge in England. But then you also have to buy all the plane tickets and like make sure they're not sitting in an, you know, they're sitting in an aisle seat and like all their little personal quirks and the things, you know, how are we going to get them to the studio? Like, is there a driver? You know, all this stuff. Do they have a veggie meal on board? Exactly. Those little things, they add up to a lot of time, you know, just doing the minutiae. And like you said, it sometimes is a scenario at a bigger company where there's a day-to-day person or multiple day-to-day people handling the the minutiae and then the the bigger manager sort of oversees the project and gives creative support. And, And that's a great scenario to be in for a lot of artists. If if their day-to-day people are really passionate about the artist, that that can be a great scenario for a newer artist to have sort of multiple layers of the team. Right. But that also goes to show, it's like if, if bands listening are wondering, like, at what point do I need a manager? Well, imagine to yourself how much money you'd, you'd need to be bringing in in order to have a team yeah. where you had a head manager and then multiple day-to-day people. I mean, it's got, it, it adds up. You'd have to be making some serious money. Mm-hmm. And, and none of that, it doesn't happen overnight and it doesn't happen without tons of hard work. You know, you really have to put yourself out there and, and try, you yeah. know, one of my favorite stories from my management days was I went and had a dinner with a band that had wanted me to manage them. And I thought they were terrific. They had talent, they were cool, they were young, you know, they looked great. And I, we sat down and we hadn't even ordered dinner and they said, 
well, we've talked about it and we've decided we can tour two weeks out of every year. <laughs> and I was like, check, please. I mean, I didn't know what to do. I was like, now oh, I have yeah. to sit through a whole dinner with these guys. We have like no future. <laughs> I don't know what to do. <laughs> yeah. I think you, those, those kind of red flags come up and you know, uh, after being experienced enough in the business that certain things that people say like that will completely turn me off. I don't care how good I think their music is if they're not willing to put in the groundwork. Right. And, and, you know, and it's changed over the years. You don't necessarily have to tour like you used to, where you literally would have to hit every city in America a couple times before anybody cared about your band. Now, because of the internet, you can put stuff up online, you know, broadcast your shows live in other markets, et cetera. So you don't have to do as much sort of playing to nobody as you used to, but you still got to get out there. It's a live experience is still a major selling point for, for most fans. And, you know, you got to put the work in to do that. And it's not always glamorous, especially in the beginning. It's a lot of, a lot of driving, a lot of losing money, a lot of playing smaller venues, but that's, that's the fun part of, you know, growing as a band, you know, overcoming, you know, not less than stellar experiences and, and, and watching it grow from there. And you remember the, the, that time we played that club in front of three people. Now we're sold it out. And that's, you know, it's a great thing to do. Is that how you sell it to bands? Because one of the weirdest things about our jobs is that we're actually usually working with people who've never actually done the job that they think they want. You know, it's right. like they, they show up, they're like, I really want to be a band. Right. But then they've never been on tour. They've never made a record. And you're like, do you really want to, I mean, do you know what this job is that yeah. you're so sure that you want? It's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of times, you know, you bands start out because they're just buddies or they just meet people randomly and decide to be in a band and they don't realize how well they get along or don't get along until they get out on the road together and they realize, Oh my God, I hate this person that's in my band. And you know, you, you see changes happen early on in a band's career. So, um, yeah, it's something I think you got to do for multiple reasons. One to prove your dedication to, uh, to being a musician, but also to find out if the people in your band are, compatible. Yeah, exactly. And you know, there's so many pitfalls that have come up. I mean, what the first band I ever worked with, their drummer quit because he didn't want to lose his job at his dad's grocery store. Mm -hmm. He was like 20. I was like, wow, that's really that more important to you than being a rock and roll. Yeah. You know, I've, I've had that happen a few times in, you know, throughout my career as sort of an A&R guy where you, you, you're about to sign a band and then one of the members realizes, oh, I think I want to just go to school or I think I want to keep my day job. And you know, I think sometimes they, if the band goes on to be big, of course, that's a, it's a big life decision they're going to regret. But yeah, it's, people have different reasons for, for wanting to do things.
That was Local Roses by Dear Boy. You're listening to The Future of What. We're talking to music manager Louis Bandak. So how do you convince a young band? You know, do you sit them down when you have decided you really want to work with them and you and tell them stuff like, it's going to be hard, you're going to miss your girlfriend, it's going to be, you know. I think my approach has always been, whether it's been as an, on the A&R side when I was an A&R guy that, trying to sign bands or now as a manager, it's always, I'm going to be completely honest with you. Everything I tell you, you need to do. I'll tell you why you should do it and what, and pros and cons of it. And I just really do tell them like, look, this is going to be a life changing experience for you. And this is how it's going to work. And this is how long it's going to be before you really see any money. And these are the issues you're going to have at home. And you know, you're, you're newlywed couple here and you just had a baby and well, this is going to be an issue and this is what you're going to run into. And you know, I try to I try to be as real to them as possible because I don't want to scare them out of any into doing anything particularly, but I also want them to not be surprised when things come up. And and you know, being on the road is is tough, and being away from home, even though you have the simplicities of you know technology to kind of keep you informed and keep you in touch with people, it's a different world. The time goes by so it's so much different when you're out on the road and you lose track of friends and family and, and just your, your real life and you get back and you need to decompress and get back into that. And it's, it's, it takes a certain personality to be able to handle that. Personally, I don't like doing it. And I, I, that's why I never really wanted to be an artist beyond, uh, you know, playing around in high school. But I, I'm, I'm more suited to be on the road a few days at a time here and there, but I can't take that. I can't go out for months and just right. expect to come back and have everything back to normal. Right. Right. Yeah. That, that is, that is hard. And that speaking to the whole work thing and the, and the amount of work that's involved, you know, I, I always tell bands, no matter how hard you think you should be working, if this goes well, you're going to work 10 times harder yeah. than you you think you should be working. I mean, you really, it's going to get way worse. I mean, I had a, great lucky experience where with a band that I managed that went gold and you know it went from normal band stuff to up at 6 a.m do drive time radio you know then an hour of hair and makeup then two hours of interviews then a photo shoot then I mean it was it's like when things are hot they are hot and you yeah. have to be there and you have to be willing to do that you can't suddenly say like oh well, I'm not going to do any photo shoots sorry yeah you know I'm not going to do the things that need to be done the more successful you become, the more work it becomes. And and you would think, oh, well, I'm going to make tons of money now and I can do less and just kind of sit back and let other people do the, do the work. And that's not the case. If you look at the biggest superstars out there, whether it's, you know, Lady Gaga to Kanye to whoever, those guys are working all the time mm-hmm. and, and it's competitive. They're competitive. That's their nature. They want to outwork the next person because they want to be the biggest star in the world. Mm-hmm. And, you know... You have to develop that sort of ethic early on in a career. And you see it. I mean, there's very few lazy bands that actually become successful. And True. there's a reason for it. Yeah, it's, It becomes a full-time job, takes up all of your time. And whether you're the artist or the manager, you got to be prepared to do the work because it never really stops. There's always something to be planned ahead for. There's always something to do. Your day becomes busier and busier as you get more successful, which is a good problem to have. But... Um, but you need to kind of learn to balance balance your life. And that's that's the tough part sometimes. Yeah, exactly. So what in general would you say is your advice for young bands who are, you know, thinking that they might need a manager? 
I think you really need to just show your initiative and get out there and hustle in whatever city you live in and just really learn everything about your local scene. Know who the bookers are at the clubs, go to these clubs, see other bands, get to meet people that work at the clubs, whether it's the sound guy, the door guy, the booker, if you could find that information, get them to know who you are, create a presence in your scene. And from there, spread it out on social media and really get your friends and family to believe in you first more than just showing up at the show and patting you on the back, but like spread the word for you. If you can't get noticed within your own group of peers and they don't want to represent and spread the word of your band or your songs, then it probably means it's not that good or people just don't like it. So if you're saying to yourself, well, we keep playing shows and and we get the same 50 people who are kind of friends and family, but every time we play, it's only them. Well, then there's probably a reason for that. They probably don't think it's worth telling all their friends at work or telling their neighbor or telling their kid down the street. So you got to kind of have a reality check in the early stage. And once you see that, wow, every time we play, there's more and more people showing up or every time I post a song on SoundCloud, we're getting more and more spins on it. Well, then then that seems to be working. And at that stage, you really got to decide, okay, at what point do we need to get a manager and how do we do it? And, And like I said before, it's just, it's networking. And for me, it's always been, if I get, turned on to a band from another band, whether it's a band I work with or a band I just a fan of or a band I know just friend as friends, that's the most important thing for me. Like I, I'll take that over any recommendation from a lawyer or from a, a blog or whatever. It's like the personal, you know, recommendation from somebody I trust or somebody I like or somebody I work with. Then, you know, so for me, if, if you're in a band Instead of maybe hitting up the manager directly, hit up the band and ask them to hit up their manager. And if they think you're good, they'll do that. If they don't think you're good, they probably won't. So just create a network. That's really it. Create a network of people in your own community and online. Build your build your social media without doing it in a way that looks forced or fake. Create real fans because you got to know yourself as an artist. Do people actually like what I'm putting out there? Right. That's a good point. If you're if you have to buy likes on Facebook, yeah. you're probably not very good. If you have to buy <laughs> likes or try to inflate your spins on, you know, SoundCloud or or your streams on on Spotify whatever, then, you know, you're sort of just trying to pull the wool over somebody's eyes. But at the end of the day, you're an artist, you want people to hear your music, but you also want them to naturally like it because they're fans, not because you're kind of forcing them to or, or tricking them into something. Right. And plus that never lasts. Like no. that doesn't really work. It lasts temporarily, if anything, and people see through it and then you look foolish for doing it <laughs> <laughs> once you're found out. Do you ever have to have that conversation with an artist? To, you know, it's like, maybe this really isn't for you. Maybe you should think about, you know, law school or something. <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> Funny enough, there was an artist who was in law school and I thought they were their whole personality was really more based, more suited to be a lawyer than an artist. And because they come at everything in such a clinical and and sort of studious point of view. And there was no sort of vibe or no real edge to them as an artist. It just felt like they were putting it together almost like a like a presentation for school or something. And And the music wasn't that particularly good, I guess. And that's the reason I was sort of like, well, you should sort of stick to building your law practice and something happens as an artist. Great. Right. Right. I think that's one of the hardest things because especially with friends and family, you know, they want to support their loved one. Yeah. 
but they're not necessarily the right people to tell that person, you know, yep. maybe this isn't, you know, yeah, the thing for you. That's another thing I tell artists because after, you know, after an artist plays a show, immediately everybody they know goes up to them and says, hey, great show. Nobody really ever says like, oh, that, that could be better. Right. You know, it's like your friends <laughs> come up to you, your family comes up to you, and all you're hearing is great show. But I think you need that criticism, constructive criticism from somebody. So that, I always tend to do that. Not right then at the show, because I actually don't believe in saying anything negative to an artist that immediately after a show. I'll usually be like, let's talk tomorrow. And okay, here's where I thought you can improve, and here are the things you can do better for next time, blah, 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 blah. Because they have egos and you don't want to damage them. And after they got that buzz of just getting off stage right. and to hear something negative, I always thought that was horrible when people did that. Yeah. But they need to know how to improve and how to get better. And if all their friends and, and family are telling them how great they are, that's never going to help them. Have you ever had an artist actually take that advice? Like you give them sort of, you know, constructive criticism, they go away and then they come back and actually have changed some stuff? Yeah, all the time. Every band I work with does it. Bands that I've signed or, or work with in that capacity have done it. I've, I've sat down with an artist once and gave her like a list of a hundred notes from the show we just saw. And she was doing a big LA showcase for the label like a, a week later. I saw her in Dallas, I want to say it was. And she came back and literally took every note and, and improved. And the show was way better. And people at the label were coming up to me going, what did you do? She's <laughs> actually really good now. And like, ah, she just listened to my advice. That's all I did. And I think the artists, the artists that can take that initiative and, and take somebody's opinion and, and really try to improve themselves, whether it's their songs or their live show, those are the artists you want to get involved in because they're willing to do whatever it takes to make it work. Right. And I tell artists, I'm going to give you some criticism and take it for what you want. You could throw it out the window and never listen to me again. Or maybe perhaps try it and see if it works for you. And if it doesn't, great, go back doing what you're doing. But yeah, I do it all the time. And, you know, it's been great to see even some really big artists who don't necessarily work with me. I've given some advice to and you see them change and like, wow, I actually helped them for whatever reason become better at their craft, which is which is nice. And that's really what I think managers want to do. I mean, it's it's a symbiotic relationship. You know, managers don't make any money if the artist doesn't make any money. Yeah. Everybody's working for the same goal. So, you know, that's it is an interesting thing. And I think it's one of the places in the music business where artists really do have a vested interest in getting an outside opinion. You know, it's like your opinion actually could change how we do things. Mm -hmm. I think we have a lot of trouble in this culture with artists just being these perfect you know, it's like, oh, well, you have this pure genius and nobody should be allowed to give you any input because they might mess you up. Yeah. You know, which is troublesome, right? I mean, that's problematic. Yeah. And I think, you know, you just have to be, you have to understand why you're doing it as a manager. And there are some managers who really are afraid to give that sort of feedback because they're just worried about getting fired and they don't want to lose a client. So they don't want to deliver any bad news to them. And maybe they'll have their assistant or their underling tell them. But I've seen managers that I've worked with you know, when I was an A&R guy who would literally tell me, you have to tell the artist that you have to tell them that because I don't want to, because they can fire me. And I'm like, wow, it's crazy that you don't have that kind of relationship with your artist, that you can just be honest about things when they're not necessarily good. And, you know, I guess I just have no fear of being fired because <laughs> if it happened, it's going to happen inevitably right. to everybody. Right. And I'm going to do my job until that happens. And then I'll find the next one. That's how I look at it. Yeah. Well, and on that note, <laughs> <laughs> I'm fired. <laughs> no, not by me. 
Louis Bandak is a music manager and he joined us in Los Angeles. Louis, thank you so much for coming on The Future of What? Thank you for having me. circulation by witchy poo you're listening to the future of what if you're enjoying this program like us on facebook and become a subscriber on itunes ingrid and slim welcome to the future of what hi thank you hi yay i'm so glad you're here me too this is fun yes so this is our music industry 101 episode for this month and basically what we do in these episodes is we talk about stuff in a really basic way so that people who are listening who might be like in young bands starting out can learn some stuff about you know what it takes to get into the industry so management is one of those things i think that's a little bit of a black box for bands because they don't really know when they need a manager or what a manager does. So if you could give us a little bit of insight into how you guys got into management, I think that would be a really interesting place to start. Okay. Well, I actually worked for a label, Kill Rock Stars. Oh my gosh. Portia. What do you know? And that is with, and as well as with Slim. Yeah. And I did, I was the head of production there. And at a certain point, I wanted to get a little bit more involved with management. And so I slowly, I started working with Slim and Porsche, but mostly Slim at their management company, Shot Clock Management. And at the same time, I started taking on my own clients. So I really had a nice kind of formal training of being a day manager, working under another manager who was Slim at the time. And learning uh, the ropes on my own a little bit as well with my own clients. So that's how I got into it. Cool. I think most good managers either get mentored in an existing management company or they come from some other aspect of the music business. For instance, maybe they played in a band and they were the person in the band who did all of the management type things. So they realized I could do this for other bands or they worked at a record label or a booking agent Every once in a while, there's somebody who's just one of those super fans who knows a million bands and super interested in how the business works, and they become a manager on their own. But mostly, you need to either you need to have some music business experience or some mentorship to get into it and be effective at it. What do you guys think are the skills that make a manager a good manager? They have to be really good at being a people person. They have to have a big picture. They have to not be alarmist when because there's going to be ups and downs. 
and they have to be able to set their ego aside sometimes because you might be the general manager of the business of the band, but you are not the owner or the boss or the person with the ultimate vision. I'd say the ability to multitask and stay focused is very important because there are so many different things you're doing at any given time from the day-to-day to, as Slim mentions, the big picture at, you know, the end of a few years maybe. And yeah, I think Slim has some really good (laughs) ideas about that. Well, Ingrid, you've been in management now for quite a long time. Like, I think you've actually been in management longer than Slim or I were in management. True, true. So what would you say today, I mean, especially with, you know, internet stuff that has come up, like what, what does a manager really need to be focused on these days? I mean, there, it is a whole nother game. There is a lot more digital aspects that you need to be aware of. And it's just a whole nother game. There's a lot of more kind of do-it-yourself that is going on. I've worked for a number of bands who've done Kickstarters, like big Kickstarters to fund the recording of their album or vehicles to help them tour. So there's a lot more fundraising within the bands going on. It's not as easy to get a label and it doesn't seem as easy to tour. It's it's a little tough to say. I've worked mostly with Portland bands. Not that they're, they have not gone on to be national-level bands, because they have. But it, it is a, just a different game. It's, a harder, it's harder to make money, and it feels like you really have to fight for every penny that you're getting. I don't know. Do you feel like it's because, like, one of the reasons it's harder is because there are more bands competing for the same little scraps of stuff? I think that is a small part of it, but I think at the end of the day, people are not taking as many chances because there's not as much money being made by labels. And so, yeah, people don't want to take, they want to know that you're already going to make them money. They don't want to take as many risks as they used to. And that's probably a symptom of the overall, you know, collapse of the music industry that we talk about on the show all the time. You know, we have had quite a downturn in the last seven years or so in the music business has become harder and harder for labels to have the funds to spare and to take a chance, a risk on a brand new band when you don't know anything about that. So you you as a manager need to help bring the band to a label with a lot more stuff now, right? Like a whole oh, yeah. ton of fans, you know, like a proven, Social media has yeah. to be... You know, there's a lot of bands who are really great at social media and some who aren't. But yeah, there's a whole nother aspect to the digital world that wasn't there before. It used to be like, oh, who are you? How are you touring? Have you put it anything anything out? Uh, what does your MySpace look like? <laughs> and, you know, it went from MySpace to, you know, everything. You know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, I don't know, Snapchat musically. <laughs> those I think some of those are younger, less effective for, for bands, but at a certain point, they're more effective if you're at a major pop star thing. Right. They, they use a lot of social media to connect with their fans. So what do you do if you're in a band, but you're not very good at social media and there's no one in the band who's really good at it? Are you guys just screwed in this environment? <laughs> Well, I I mean, there have been some clients that I've worked with where me and my co-manager ran a lot of their social media because they weren't that great at it. Or you try to train them, but that doesn't always work. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes the label will get involved if there's a label. 
But yeah, I mean, you you can't force really artists to do something that they don't want to do or they're not good at. <laughs> really, that's so true. Slim, so when you were in management, what did you find was the hardest part about it? Was it finding bands to work with? Was it navigating, you know, their business? Or, or what, did you, what did you find was difficult about it? Well, I, you know, I, I saw that, the, you know, I used to work at a record label. I used to run a record label. And I saw that things were changing and that bands, a lot of bands were needing to do a lot more of the things for themselves that record labels used to do, either because they chose to be self-released or because they were, had not yet found a label and so I thought that I could bring all my label experience to management because management is changing so much. And I think that was true. But I, where my passion was, was to work with bands who were pretty new and pretty unknown and try to help them grow rather than just pick up bands that are already in the middle of their career. And the hardest part, I'd say from my record label days and from my management days, the hardest part is getting bands to make compromises towards being successful you know people have an artistic vision but then there's also commercial realities and i found myself always trying to navigate help people navigate the tension between their artistic vision and the and commercial necessities and a lot of times um, young bands are just really resistant to something you know there's a lot of different things they might be resistant to they might be resistant to doing social media they might be resistant to touring they might be resistant to investing their own money in a self-release. The list can go on and on. But if you won't do those things, it's just making the, it a lot harder for you. You can always lift up an example of, here's a band that didn't tour, here's a band that didn't do interviews. But just because there's examples doesn't mean that it's easy. They can be done simply for every band. Did you want to jump in on that? No, I, th I mean, I think Slim is right on point. <laughs> it's very true. The only thing I would say is that sometimes it's easier. It was easier for me to get the bands when they were beginning and very hungry to do some of these things. Not always. So sometimes it's just like, well, same thing. There's an example. Why do I have to play Seattle 10 times? We've already played five and no one cares. You know, just trying to convince them that it's an ongoing process. But I also feel that sometimes it's not just the young bands that they're more open when they're fresher. And as their career builds, they become more resistant to doing things that maybe at one point they would have done anything to, you know, because they were hungry and now they're not as hungry. And they're, well, why do we have to do that? So I think you can find some of those problems along the way, and especially as the bands are getting bigger and growing. I think it's a funny catch-22 because I think there are a lot of bands out there that I have met recently, I mean, throughout my career, who really want, who are, like, willing to do anything. Like, they'll do anything. They don't know what to do, though. Mm -hmm. It's like that same problem. They're like, oh, you want me to play such and such 10 times? I'll totally do that. But they don't have anyone in place who knows that that's what they should do. So the role of a manager can be really important in a band's life because you need somebody who knows what is the next right thing to right. do, right? I have advice for a band. Be very careful about who you select as your manager, but then once you do, be all in with that manager's vision because the thing that is the most crazy-making is if you're managing a band, but they're listening to their mom and people in other bands and reading stuff on the internet, and every day they're coming saying, are you sure we're doing the right thing? Because maybe we should be touring Australia, or maybe we should be you know, putting bags over our heads, or just like 
every day a new crazy idea or all or constantly worrying that the current that the current plan or the current vision isn't the right one even if it's not the best one once you're on a path you should commit to the path once you've selected a manager you should believe in that manager that's good advice what how do you think how would you tell a young band to go about finding a manager with a vision i mean how do you how would you say do that. I mean, you're basically suggesting like, let's go audition a bunch of managers, right? Mm-hmm. Like, let's go talk to some managers and find out what they what they see for us. Right. Well, you're probably going to have to do some sweat e- equity and some elbow grease. You're going to need to, one way or another, whether it's on the internet or in your hometown or in your region, you're going to ne- need to build a fan base. You're going to need to get some music out that people can hear. And then either for artistic because people see some artistic potential or because they see commercial potential because you're starting to sell tickets or something, some eventually, once you've done enough on your own, managers will start to show interest. Sometimes labels show interest before managers, but you may want to hold off if you're not finding somebody. You know, one mistake is jumping to the first person that offers to manage and thinking, well, if it doesn't work out, we'll just jump to another. Really, you should wait until that person has come along that you can commit to and that you can see as a partner for years and years and years. Don't don't be opportunistic about just agreeing to, you know, your friend who likes your band but has no experience, wants to be manager, unless you believe that that friend is so smart and so competent that they can learn and grow with you and be with you for years and years as your band hopefully becomes successful. And But then let's say you do have ma- managers to choose from. You want to find out, do they have contacts and connections in the in the business? Is their vision for your band similar to your vision? Do they have enough experience that their vision is is likely to work? Or are they just guessing? Eventually, you just have to go with what your heart and your gut tells you.
That was Go Home by Summer Cannibals. If you're enjoying this program, please subscribe to our show on iTunes. To find out what's coming up next, follow us on Twitter at KRSFOW. You're listening to The Future of What? We are talking to Ingrid Renan and Slim Moon about band management. Ingrid, what would you say is your philosophy of management? Like, how do you approach a band when you want to work with them? Well, a lot of the bands that I've ended up having longer relationships with have been bands that I, I would say I slowly approach them. I kind of helped out a lot of bands to start with, whether it's hooking up a tour or hooking up a show, or I've heard about them from whether maybe it's a label And so I really get a feel for their music and whether their music is something that I'm passionate about because within management, there's only so many clients that you are going to be working with at any given time. And so I think you have to be really selective about, because it's a lot of work and if you're not passionate about it, you're going to have a really hard time at the end of the day. So... I have been approached by bands, too. I've, well, I've been approached by many bands, but most of those I don't end up working. I often have given, you know, some advice and had a lot of coffees because just because I don't want to work with them doesn't mean they're not going to be successful or valuable. I just don't see the right match, so to speak. So when you decide to work with a band, when you meet a band and you decide you guys are on the same page and you want to work together... Do you, what do you do? You sit down and hash out like a five-year plan. I mean, how does, what's the, what's the first step with manager and a band working together? I think, you know, I had to learn that by doing there's, I didn't necessarily always get it right, but by the, by the, by the end of the, my six year career as manager, or however long it was, what I, the lessons I learned is I think you should, you should spend a lot of time with each other, learning each other's values and strengths and weaknesses and it's, and then you should make a plan and make sure and communicate the plan well so everybody knows what the plan is and make sure everybody knows you know in a month we might have to change this plan if new information arises or if some you know something happens that was unexpected like the song one of your songs gets synced on a TV show or something but but have a plan that everybody understands what it is so that you can always point to that plan as you're making decisions and say does this make sense within our plan? Or if the band is like, uh, I don't know if I want to do that, then you can say, hey, but look, it's part of the plan and we had agreed on this plan. I think it's really good to have everybody on the same page. I've made, I made mistakes sometimes having a vision in my head and not communicating it well enough with the band so that they, what I did, my suggestions to them seemed random or they were losing faith that we were aimed in a positive direction. Uh, I would say that I've definitely had a learning curve as well from, I mean, even most recently, you know, the way I would go about business now is very different than a few years ago. Even though I have always tried to kind of have a plan, I don't, five years, not so much because I feel like if I had a five-year plan, it, that would be vague because it's, I found it's hard to kind of get artists on board with a five-year plan. I think more like a one or two year plan because there's a lot within that time to get to kind of these goals. And sometimes bands have unrealistic goals and I don't want to promise things that aren't going to happen to bands because that's, that's an issue as well. But I think having a plan is good. It's, it's hard when that plan changes all the time when you're trying to stick to one plan and that, I think, can be a real big issue. 
as Slim said, I've definitely heard a lot of, well, my friend said, or my brother said, or my girlfriend said, or my boyfriend said, and I don't want to spend all my time trying to get in a debate about why what your friend or your brother or this other band said something to you that is not parallel or on the same plane as what our plan had been. So I think, yeah, being really on the same page with your manager is really important. And probably communication, I would imagine, is communication super is, important. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm sorry to go backwards, but when we talked about sele- a band selecting a manager, I think it's important to make sure you select somebody who can do big picture and daily detail. Sometimes you get a big picture person who can't do the, who's not into doing the daily work and doesn't have a, you know, a support staff to do the, the daily work. Because there's a lot of grind of details. Sometimes you get somebody who's good with the details, but they're not, they don't have a vision. That person is really more like a personal assistant than, they really, than a manager. And you really want somebody who's, a, who's really a manager if you're going to pay them like a manager and, and work with them like a manager. And what the manager is really is that the band is a business and the manager is the general manager, you know, the executive. The artist is still the owner with the vision. They are also the product. But, you know, you really need to let your manager be the manager of the business. So let's talk about the finances that you just brought up, because I think that's something that is really tough for young artists to understand. In a way, it's super easy because like 15% or 20%, which is whatever whatever the manager makes, maybe 25% in some cases, of nothing is nothing. So in the early days, a manager might say, hey, this is my rate. I'm going to make, you know, let's say 20% of your income. And because the band is making nothing, they're like, that's awesome. Let's totally do that. But then as, you know, if the manager is effective and the band starts to, you know, get some business and starts making money, all of a sudden you're actually asking to get paid. And sometimes that changes the dynamic. So can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, you know, it's, it's a, there's a real temptation to have a trial period without a contract. And I think that even makes sense in some cases. But I think ideally, if you have a one-year trial, you should know what the terms of the contract are going to be when you do enter a contract. Because it's happened way too many times that a band and manager work together for a year and they actually are having success. They're, they're liking each other. It's all working until they start to negotiate the contract. And all of a sudden that, the management contract, unravels or puts a lot of stress on the relationship. So I I think it's really important to negotiate the terms early. And just like you commit to a plan, you got to commit to those terms. Maybe there's an escape clause, like if such and so hasn't happened within a year, then then it can be terminated. But bands don't necessarily want to sign something right away before results. But you really have to find a way to negotiate the terms from the beginning because it's so stressful to negotiate those terms later on in the in the relationship. I would agree with you. I mean, I have had to try to renegotiate things after quite a while working with some bands. And it, it really does just add a lot of stress and it usually does not work out well. Absolutely, because right. when you bring a lawyer in, things get crazy. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think... I've sort of said this a couple different ways in this interview, but I'm going to say it again. I'm going to say it this clearly. You don't, ideally, you don't spend all your time thinking, is this really the drummer we want or should we be swapping him for another drummer? You've committed to your drummer and you're probably not going to fire the drummer unless there's a, a, a real problem. You're not going to just fire your drummer just because you met somebody on the road who was a slightly better drummer or something. And I think you have to have that approach with the manager. The relationship should be like that. You've committed 
and you know what they're going to be paid, just like the drummer knows what the drummer's going to be paid. And you don't think about changing course unless a serious problem arises. I agree. And I, and I think that is a common thing that continues to happen at every stage of management. I don't care if you've had your client for 20 years, you still see artists who seemingly are having amazing careers and then next and who've been with their same manager for 20 years next thing you know they've gotten rid of their manager well and i think you said it once slim and you can say it again if you'd like but the way that you put it to me was the band gets to be the band forever but mm -hmm. the manager is only the manager as long as the contract lasts right or until you get fired yeah <laughs> Well, that's one, of, that's one of the reasons, like, bands can be really resistant to the idea of a sunset clause in a contract, but, you know, if the manager's ideas and connections helped a band build a fan base, then that, those record sales will go on forever. After the manager's gone, the band will continue to collect money that, where the equity was really built while the, while the manager was on board. So that's one of the many kinds of things that would be negotiated in a management contract. That's what I think bands have to think about when they think about a manager. I think they, I think young bands often are really desperate and they, they have a very short attention span, but they, they're thinking about what's happening right now and right. they're thinking about the very next thing that's going to happen. And so sometimes they want somebody to help them because they want them to help them get this show next Thursday or like next mm -hmm. month. Like right. they're really, really focused on this thing that's going to happen right away. They don't have the long view of seeing what's down the road. But what Slim just brought up is a really good point because it's like if you pick a good manager, someone who can seriously help you, that person is going to negotiate deals for you. They're going to negotiate record deals. They're going to negotiate publishing deals. That are going to that last. That are going to last for years and enrich you and allow you to buy houses and cars and, you know, have a family. I mean, these are things that people don't think about for some reason. I mean, obviously, when they're 24 and they're just starting out or, you know, they're really excited about getting a show at the Doug Fur or whatever. Right. If they're like me when they're 24, they don't even actually expect to be around when they're 40 <laughs> or 50, you know? Right. <laughs> well, and I also think that some artists are such in their head. They're, I mean, they're amazing people, but even after the fact, they don't, un even if I you explain that to them, they still wouldn't grasp that concept. Right. Mm-hmm. All right, so in our last remaining moments here, each of you give like one good piece of advice for a young band starting out, looking for management and considering their next steps. Don't necessarily go for the first manager that offers. Wait until it's a person that you like and believe in just as much as you believe in every member of your band. I would say I really try to build your live show regionally by yourself, doing as much as you can by yourself, putting your money into recording good music, even if you only have it recorded digitally, and waiting to approach people until you feel like you have done as much as you can on your own and you have something to put on the table for them to really grasp. Like, hey, we can pull all these people at these shows in these cities and here's a digital recording. It's going to be an investment. And I'd say if you believe in yourself, just don't ever give up. Right. And if you believe in that manager, be ready for the fact that, like, if you've built a regional fan base, you've got some income coming in, be ready for the fact that your income's going to drop by 20%, but that that's an investment in the future in creating a potential of greatly increasing your income down the road. Awesome. Well, Ingrid Renan, Slim Moon, thank you so much for joining us on The Future of What? Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you. 
And that's our show. The music we played today was used by permission. You heard Summer Cannibals, Dear Boy, Witchy Poo, and of course, our theme song, Mind Your Own Business by the Delta Five. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. For more info on the shows, check out our website at killrockstars.com slash the future of what. Our program was engineered by Brent Asbury and Andy Brohard at Beta Petrol and is produced by Will Watts and Anna McLean. I'm Portia Sabin, president of Kill Rockstars. See you next week.